0: My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Those are verses 123 to 125 of Psalm 119, verses 121 to 144 of which are the Psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, June the 22nd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're uh, continuing to look at um, chapter 16 in the book of Numbers, verses 36 to 50, which is the aftermath of the revolt of Korah, Dathan and Abiram and the 250 others leaders who joined them in that revolt. Also in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, the first 16 verses, and then Romans, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 35. So if you remember, you had 250 people join the revolt of Dathan and Abiram, and, the, and the, the challenge was they were to bring censers full of um, fire and incense with them before the tent of meeting, and when they did, the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and Abiram in front of their own tents, and then the 250 fire came out from the altar and destroyed those 250 um, other men. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they've become holy, the censers themselves had. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord and they became holy. There's this incredible irony in this, that these men whom the Lord destroyed with fire from the the altar, um, they were the opposite of holy, but because they brought these things before the Lord, they were an offering to him of sorts, and so now they're to be taken and melted down and hammered into a covering for the altar itself from whence the fire had come, because they're holy because they brought them before the Lord. So it's deeply ironic. <clears throat> Thus, they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who had burned were burned had offered and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a reminder for the to the people of Israel so that no outsider who's not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord lest he become like Korah and his company as the Lord said to him through Moses. So the the issue is 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 that the, the people are to remember every time they bring a sacrifice to the altar, not to presume to the priesthood, because that was the sin of, of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They said, aren't all God's people holy? Who do you think you are to set yourselves apart from them for this task? The bottom line is that you got it wrong. You're not rebelling against the, the authority of Moses and Aaron. You're rebelling against the authority of God, who chose that line as the priestly line. So your, your rebellion wasn't against Moses and Aaron. You thought it was, but but it showed a, a fundamental misunderstanding of how they had gotten the roles that they have. And, and what's amazing about this is, the next thing I'm going to read to you, but on the next day, the next day, these guys are swallowed up by the earth down into Sheol. Their whole families with them. These other 250 are burned with fire. On the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. You, really. Moses and Aaron made the earth open up and swallow the, some of these people, and they made fire come out from the altar to kill these other people. I mean, that's, there's, a, there's a truth in this in that they believe something about Moses particularly, that, that he's to blame for this because he could have avoided it, had he, had he handled it in some other way. I, I, this doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> having led a church and having, having told people, you know, you're wrong. And when they challenge, not your authority necessarily, but in some cases, yes, as though they are the ones who should be the spiritual leaders of the congregation, not you, <laughs> to, to see others then come and blame you for what, they, what the others had done to themselves is absolutely stunning sometimes. <clears throat> when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting. They being Moses and Aaron. <laughs> and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Uh-oh. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. I mean, how many times has God been prepared to consume and destroy these people? And, and you know, he's perfectly capable of doing it. I mean, it started while Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the tablets, and here it just goes on and on and on. It's like you're never going to learn. Now, you can understand on the other side of that, you can understand the people's frustration because they're they're not going into the land. They're going to be here in the wilderness until they die. I mean, life's already not good, in your opinion. Uh, You've already complained about nothing to eat but manna, and yet now you you realize you're going to live out the rest of your days here in this place. So God says, get away, get out. I'm going to consume it in a moment. And they both fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put fire in it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Now, it's odd that that there's no sacrifice here to make atonement for sin. And, And what makes atonement for sin is sacrifice. But he's taken some of the fire from the altar of sacrifice and putting incense on it and carries it to the congregation, that, that pleasing aroma before the Lord. And so Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And Behold, the plague had already begun among the people, and he put the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair of Korah which is more than 253 people because there's 250 men, the three of them, but also their families, and we don't know how many that would have been. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. So he, he essentially brings the fire from the altar, which is the fire from God because he's the one who lit the fire on the altar, so it's God's fire, puts incense on it that, as a prayer of the people for the people between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. In that place, and so it, it's interesting to see Aaron taking his place as priest because he's the one who can make atonement. Moses can't do it because that's a priestly function. And once Moses has anointed Aaron and his sons, then his ability to function as a priest ends at that moment because now there there is a priesthood that's been ordained by God in place to handle those sacerdotal functions. Sacerdotal is is a I don't know, spiffy way of saying sacramental. <laughs> so in the in the uh, gospel here, Jesus is going to tell a parable. The kingdom of God is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's a day's wages normally, every footnote in every Bible you'll ever read will tell you that a denarius was a day's wages, he sent them into his vineyard. And after going about going out, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And, he told, and to them, he said, you go into the vineyard, too. Whatever's right, I'll give you. So they didn't agree for the wages. They just agreed to take the job. So they went out. I'm sure they didn't expect to get a full day's uh, pay for the amount of time they gonna they're going to work because the others have been there several hours already. Going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So about every three hours, and after about the 11th hour, because there's only 12 hours of working time, about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because nobody's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. So they got paid for a day's work, even though they only worked an hour. And, and fortunately, Jesus doesn't go down from nine to six to three. <laughs> now, when those who hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Because, well, it makes sense. If, if you only worked an hour and I worked 12 hours, doesn't it make some sense that I'd get paid maybe 12 denarius <laughs> or 11 denarius? Um, and on, <clears throat> but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. I mean, it, there's a sensible kind of a, an idea in that, right? I mean, you probably wouldn't bother taking the job the next day until late in the day. <laughs> but he replied to him, one of them. So sometimes what you've got to do is you've got to see it from the other person's perspective. And, and so Jesus is giving that perspective friend— I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. There, there's this generosity. What does that mean? The generosity. He, he's being generous with these others for reasons known only to him. And I think that's one of the things that we need to always consider is that, that God knows infinitely more than we do. And so what he knows, it, it causes him to do the things that he does. Do we trust him? Or do we grumble like this, that other people get moved ahead of us or put ahead of us or whatever? Do we, do we, are we pleased with him? Do we find our satisfaction in him? And, and to be a laborer in his vineyard a longer time than somebody else who gets in at the last minute shouldn't make any difference to us, because what we should do is delight in him always, and never, ever think that we have an entitlement to more from him. In the, and that's kind of what the whole thing from Korah Dathan, and Abiram was, was that they had a, a sense of entitlement that, well, we're, God declared us all holy so shouldn't we have, you know? So why do you exalt yourselves above us? And and again, the answer is I didn't. God did. He put me in this position. But Moses didn't see himself as above all these people. And the proof of that is he constantly interceded for them. <laughs> I mean, always. Whenever they would do these horrible things against him, he would intercede before the Lord to make sure that the Lord didn't destroy them all. <laughs> Who wants that job? <laughs> Putting up with all the heat. Um, and then having to be the one who goes out and, and pleads the case for those people who are bringing the heat. <laughs> and Paul, Paul's reminding us that, that it's all by faith. But that it's all by faith doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to do something with that, to do something with our lives, to, to follow him in all things. And, and that's too often what people make of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, um, to the glory of God alone, that people will make that into something that Paul would never have recognized, which is to say, you know, oh, great, you were baptized one day. You made some profession of faith, and you were baptized, and then you kind of did whatever you wanted the rest of your life. You lived a profligate life. Um, No, let me talk to you about circumcision. That's what he says about circumcision. A Jew is not a Jew who is circumcised only. But if he acts in faith and lives by faith, then he has proven that his circumcision had value. And here that's exactly what he's continuing to argue. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And he's already proven that 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 came before. The promise and, and the counting faith as righteousness came before circumcision, before the giving of the law. For if it's the inheritance of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. So if you don't tell me something's wrong, you can't prosecute me for doing it. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations." In the presence of the God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So he he sees, okay, God's promising me that I'll be the father of many nations and, and my offspring will be as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. And yet here I am at 99, childless. But he believed. He continued to believe God could do this thing. He would have seasons and times of doubt that he would say, what are you going to give me? Since the only thing I've got is this uh, man over here, this servant in my household, Eliezer of Damascus. And God would promise him, and that's when he said, okay, I believe that. And so he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. I mean, we've been together a long time here. I've been waiting on this child for 25 years, and you haven't come through on it. Um, And you're the one who promised it. But he was counting on the promise, not on his body or not on Sarah's body. He believed that God could do these things. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Those two things come together, that he's— growing strong in his faith as he gives glory to God in all things, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So his faith is counted to him as righteousness, and then he wants to know how his people will inherit the land, and that's when God does the covenant. The covenant's based on the land. It's not based on the, on the progeny that he'll have, because he believed God, and that faith was counted to him as righteousness. And so here, what we see is, is that, that that's exactly what matters, and that's who we are to be, are the people who gave that kind of glory to God and have that kind of faith in his promises. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. So it was, it was counted to him means it was acc- accredited to him. And so it's that faith that's accredited to us as well, because we're heirs of the promise by faith. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what, we, what, we ha- what Paul's argument is, is, is that that Jesus alone is holy, and nothing we do adds to his holiness or adds to our acceptance Before the Lord, because we're accepted because of Jesus and his perfect righteousness. That's the end of that sentence. What did Jesus do? Jesus took on sin. And so because of our trespasses, he was put on the cross because of his righteousness. He was raised from the dead. And Paul says that has an effect. And that effect is not just for us to look and see that jesus was perfect because of his resurrection from the dead no he says that same righteousness is imputed to us through faith who believe in him we believe in his perfect righteousness we believe that he was the willing sacrifice for sin we believe that god raised him from the dead and therefore our sins have gone to that cross with him and have been forgiven to the extent that we confess those sins and we recognize that we have sin in us, then, then we give them to him and he takes those on himself on the cross and then his righteousness, the righteousness which, which caused uh, the Father to raise him from the dead, is then given to us as though it belonged to us by grace through faith.